We're going to uh, go into a time of, of teaching again um, and, and then close with a time of prayer and then go into communion this morning. So um, what Zach and I uh, are going to do is, uh, is have a little bit of a panel discussion with you. Um, we, we wanted to talk about war with you this morning because of what's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine. And so um, Zach's going to be right back, and I'm going to get started here this morning with this. Um, I'm going to turn the uh, stage lights back on, actually. So... reconfigure the stage just for a minute here. Oh, thanks. You want to do it there? I was going to do it here because it's really lit well, but... So, I wanted to talk a little bit about this. I was asking the question this week of how do we think... How do we pray in times of war? And I think that's an important question for us to consider. You know, in, in, the, uh, in next week's Torah portion, the one that uh, we're going to get to, you know, um, there was a, a conflict there between Abimelech and Isaac. And there was a time in, in that quarreling when Abimelech and his men, the shepherds of Gerar, they wouldn't stop fighting with Isaac until he was gone. And so Isaac did move away from them. He praised God for the peace that they were able to finally achieve so he could focus on being productive rather than being defensive. Um, but sometimes there is conflict, and sometimes conflict chases you. And sometimes conflict is present in your lives. Um, and, and it, it pointed me in the direction of thinking about this war that's going on, and, and it's been hard not to really think about it if you've been paying attention to it at all. Um, it's going on in Ukraine, and, and again, as I was thinking about it, is how does God direct us to think, and how does God direct us to pray in times of war? And I think that that's a, a really important thing for us to think about. And so we're going we're gonna to have some time where we can take some questions this morning um, from you, and, uh, and Zach and I, we, we talked about doing this, um, we, we, are, we prepare very differently, Zach and I do, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I prepare like, I told, him, I, I told him this morning, I was like, I wrote out, I pre-wrote out answers to five pages of questions, and he, he laughed at me, because <laughs> that's what I do, <laughs> like, what questions could they ask, what questions might might I ask during this time? So we're going to talk about that. Um, I, want to be, I want to be really specific, though, and say that we're talking about actual military conflict here. Okay? I'm not talking about culture war. Okay? So we can, we can put aside ideas of CRT or anthropogenic global warming or anything else that you would like to think about as being war, because that's culture war, and that's not military war. Okay, they're very different things, even though sometimes uh, people tend to conflate them and behave 
in the same way about them. They are not the same. Okay, we're talking about military war here um, and how we should think about and how we should pray about that because uh, they're, they're not even remotely on the same scale. So that's kind of my introduction. Um, Zach, I don't know if you have any other introduction to this discussion. I'm going to go grab my Bible. I forgot to grab it on the way up here. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that I necessarily have an introduction. I, uh, I kind of have some prepared answers in my head. But, um, yeah, this is definitely meant to be a time, like, where if you guys want to ask some questions, we really just kind of want to have some open discussion, uh, maybe leading into a prayer time at the end, uh, because what we, we want to try to understand how, as a community, we need to approach these times, these events, um, and, and how it might affect us, what should we do? Um, so if anybody has any questions, there's something I can bring a mic to you. Um, you want to ask a question? I'll, I'll start off with just a, a question in general. Um, and, th and this is a really high-level question, is, is what should we keep in mind with regard to war in general? Okay, just general war, and what does the Bible say about that? And the answer is that the Bible tells us that we will endure war. Okay, um, wars plural, and there will there will be conflict. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three verse eight it tells us that there is a time for war and a time for peace. Okay, there will be war. Matthew 24, 6, Yeshua tells us that we will hear of wars and rumors of war. Okay? That's plural. There will be wars. And we will hear about them. Um, there will be conflict in our lives. You know, when, when Yeshua was arrested, there was one of his disciples, probably Peter, who uh, drew a sword. And Yeshua warned him and said, those who draw the sword will die by the sword. He's talking about involvement in war here, okay? If we read uh, many of the later minor prophets in the Tanakh, and if we read the book of Revelation, um, we will see many passages in which they tell us of devastating war. Widespread death, okay? Um, my point is that war, as horrible as it is, is something that we should expect in this life. Okay? Now, expecting war and reacting to war are two different things. But just, to, just my premise here is just to say that we shouldn't expect that there would be no war. Okay? At all. That shouldn't be a baseline of our expectation. So there, there's my uh, first question for you answered. If you want to think about some more. Yeah, I can piggyback on that. Um, <clears throat> I've said it before that um, it takes two people to be at peace. It only takes one to be at war. Um, <clears throat> I mean, Philip is, is definitely hitting the nail on the head with you're not going to be able to avoid war. It's going to happen. Um, and, and, and so it, it, it kind of forces you to think about how, does, how could it affect you. Um, I would encourage you guys to take that thought seriously and consider it. Um, even consider reading books 
about it. Um, I mentioned a book several months ago that I had read, that I shared in a teaching. We have two copies of it in the library. Uh, that's called um, When Being Jewish Was a Crime. It was about a man during World War II um, and his experiences in Poland. Um, and I also have another um, article that I printed out and I keep with me that I read years ago <clears throat> that had to do with um, uh, someone who survived the Warsaw Ghetto in Poland uh, and just explaining how quickly things changed and the assumptions that you make where he talks about how his life just changed overnight and don't believe that it can't because it can't, right? Um, so in, at least in that regard, Philip is... He's right about the first thing you have to do is accept the reality for what it is. Because you're never going to be able to address the reality if you're not dealing with the truth. Yeah, Gloria Grace. I have two questions. Number one, how would you, you define a just and an unjust war? Number two, when would you righteously consider it necessary to participate in a war? There's a lot of... Uh, uh, that one of the things that happens in military war is that the lines get blurred a lot. That's, that's one of the difficult things. Um, so a question of when would you righteously participate in a just war, what's an, a just and an unjust war, right? Um, those, are, those are questions that uh, um, are probably hard to answer, you know, like, you could think about a question of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II, right? Like, he was a person who asked that question of when is it, where, does, where is that line to cross of participating in a, in, a, in a war, okay? Now, that was an unjust war that was being fought against him, right? And against, or against the Jewish people mainly, but against uh, believers who stood firm against, against the regime of Hitler in World War II. And so he asked the question, and in his mind he answered it, that he should participate in that war, right? Um, he actually, and if you, I don't know if you know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, one of the stories of him, but he he did plot to assassinate Hitler. As, and he was a pastor, a, a Lutheran pastor in Germany. Okay. He, he also had actually left Germany initially knowing that it was going to be unsafe and then decided to go back before the war broke out. So he knew, he had decided in his mind you know, what was, what was uh, the righteous thing to participate in. Um, and... I, I am not able to 
say that he was wrong in doing so in that um, because the lines really blur there especially when it's right in front of you and it's your people you know it's it's one thing for us to ask the question when the war is always over there <laughs> you know and that's the way it's been in America for the most part for the last hundred years since the Civil War. The, wa the war has always been over there, wherever there is. It's not been here. And so <clears throat> we haven't had to ask that question for the most part until we were attacked in, in World War II um, and then drawn into that conflict. Um, now, of course, America has fought in many wars since then, um, as acting as the... Uh, um, protector of innocent people in many nations since that time. Um, and who knows what will still be yet to come in this case. So I'm kind of walking around the question. I'm not sure if I fully know the answer to your question about an <coughs> unjust or an unjust war, except to say that we know a just war when it's in front of us, right in front of us. Um, you know, we could think about it in a non-war situation, but in a time of a, maybe a, you see a crime that occurs in front of you, mm -hmm. right? Like right in front of you, somebody, there is a crime that is occurring, uh, uh, maybe a, a, a woman is getting gang raped, okay? That happens, in, if that happens in front of you, you know that you have a just reason to go in and take action at that moment. Okay, you don't know what will happen to you. There may be multiple casualties now, right? But you know there is a just reason to participate, to defend the innocent in that case, and to take action, because there, there, it becomes a just cause, because it's right in front of you. It's harder to define when it's over there, and it's not... Your military isn't in, involved yet. In that case, I don't know, Zach, if you have some yeah, additional I, thoughts on that. This, <clears throat> um, to try to define a war as just or unjust is really beyond any of us. Um, I think Philip has kind of hit, hidden it where, like, if you can understand the fight that's right in front of you, that might be enough. Um, what we really each need to have decided in our own minds is where our loyalties truly lie because each of those loyalties will get tested in war. And... Um, and... I do think that there is a justification for fighting for your country, but that loyalty is not really the first loyalty. Amen. The first loyalty needs to be to God and his kingdom, and then your next loyalty really is a lot, is really close to that, which is to his people. 
you know, the kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom, and then it's to your home country. Um, I do believe that there are um, things that God accomplishes for good in the wars of men, right? But I will tell you that it's hard to ever see any particular war as justified um, when it can be pretty clear from the leaders involved that their motivations are not pure motivations. If you don't have men on either side of the war that are trying to fight for God's kingdom, then you're, you're not going to be able to find a just side in the war. A purely just A purely just side in the war. But you might be able to find a just fight that you have to be involved in. And you have to figure that out. And this is where, um, this is where, uh, again, you have to have your own loyalties decided in your own mind because those are going to guide you through those battles. And you'll have to make those decisions of what are you willing to die for uh, because that might be the choice you have to make. And, and I, I would not begrudge any man or woman that if they are trying to do what they believe is best, if they make completely different choices in the same situations. You know, I, I do actually enjoy watching war movies, for instance, um, especially redeeming ones. Um, my wife does not. But the one war movie that she was willing to watch with me was Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, that was not an easy one. But she did. And it's a completely different motivation for that man that he would not pick up a gun. But he still got into the fight. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pick up a gun either. But he made his choice. He made his choice based upon what he had to do. Um... And so, at least in, in that regard, I'd be far less concerned about whether a war is just and more concerned about whether I'm making the best choices that I can make, that I can live with and be just, and, um, and fighting a just fight wherever I can. And that is, that's not easy either, because depending on your situation, you could get asked to do things that are really tough. Especially if you get into a major war and you're a young man and you get drafted, you don't really have much choice, do you? Right? Or you're the women that get left behind with the children. You don't have much choice if he gets taken to war. And you've got to figure out what to do with that. Um, so, one of the things that I think is coming out of some of this, this story in Ukraine is you're seeing some redemption of people that, whether this war is a just war or not, from either side, you're seeing people that are doing what they can to do good. Mm -hmm. Right? And they know they have to fight the fight. Um, There's an example of that. So, over a million people have already fled Ukraine. Over a million. They're, they're fleeing by, you know, packed trains out to other countries, like Germany, okay? And 
I saw a video of the central train station in Berlin the other day. People were, German people were welcoming Ukrainian refugees off the trains with open arms saying, come stay in my house. They didn't know who these people are from anybody other than that they, they know that they fled from Ukraine and have no place to go. And they said, come stay in my house. Wow. <clears throat> Kristen has a question. Okay, one second. Yeah. Joe just sent a text. Joe sent us a text. So this is from Joe. We did, we wanted Joe to be a part of this, We wanted Joe to be a part of this, okay. really wanted him to be a part of I, this. So I'm going to read Joe's comments here. I haven't read them all the way through, but somehow they're, they're working for this question. Okay, thoughts on war. These are his cliff notes. Don't you love Joe's cliff notes? Okay. <clears throat> a while ago, I was talking to some children about war. One little boy asked if I needed to say sorry to Jesus for things that I had done in war. It was a good question, and some of the teachers interpreted my pause as a desire to deflect the question, which it wasn't. I am only ashamed of one thing I did in war. I drove by some kids on patrol and splashed them with water. To this day, I wish I would have stopped and apologized. Looking back, the military situation would have warranted treating them a little better. My soldiers killed the enemy under my orders. Nothing morally wrong with that. But I wish I hadn't splashed those kids. Even in war, especially in war, there are limits. Also, the Lord, blessed be he, has expectations of us in war. Boy, that's so true. Read that in the scriptures of what he desired of his people when they went to war. Sorry, my comments. As it is written... Do not destroy a city's trees by putting an axe to them. Are they people that you should besiege them? Deuteronomy 20, verse 19. From this we can see that the Almighty, blessed be He, has limits both for trees and people regarding war. Finally, remember that there is a coming day when we shall not learn war anymore. Isaiah and Micah. This will be because He will judge between peoples. Amen. On, in some battles, um, it's, there's obviously, you know, like in World War II, bad guys and good guys, and it was really clear where the prayers sh should go. But when there's no clear evil to pray against, how should our prayers be directed? <clears throat> yeah, great question. Um, Don't be afraid to ask God questions and expect that he's going to answer. Um, war, okay, this is, this is going to be really important. So please follow, keep this in mind. This is an important thought, okay? In Sun Tzu's War Academy, Sun Tzu says war is deception. Okay? That is the way of the world. Lies are part of the tools for the fight that they use, that the world uses. 
okay? The even Hasatan, our enemy, is the father of lies and wants to tell us lies. And so God and the truth that he teaches us are the only way through that. It's the only way through that. So when it comes to trying to understand where your prayers should be directed, there may be some things that are really obvious. Okay, pray for the orphans and widows in Ukraine. That's obvious. That's straight from the scripture, right? Um, pray for believers there. Pray that the gospel would spread there, like Johnny shared with us today. There's some really obvious things that we should already know to pray for. But, especially if you are someone who is in the fight, or you know someone that's being affected by the fight, okay, um, then sometimes in those specific situations, you really need the guidance of God to know what and how to pray for. Um, and, and you really need to trust that he's going to answer really need to believe that he's going to answer you because, um, because he can see the things that you don't see. Um, and and that's, this kind of goes back to last week a little bit about the conviction and the, and the chesed and the grace, right? There's things from conviction you know you can pray for, right? And then the grace is God giving you everything else that you don't know or understand so that you can pray for the right direction. And if you put those together, you'll know what to do. I want to add on to that a little bit. I want to, to add on to that, though, I want to back up and ask another question um, and help answer that. And that, that is, uh, is, is Joe texting us again? Yeah, he said in the millennial kingdom he'll be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> he would. For those of you who don't know Joe, Joe is in the Army Reserve, okay? So um, he, is, he is in the military. Um, and, and we should also acknowledge and recognize, too, that our late Rabbi John was also um, in the military as a field, in the field artillery uh, corps as well as then a chaplain in the military. So he's seen the extremes on both sides. Um, but kind of backing up to this idea that we should expect war, okay? Um, and then I'm going to sort of tag on to your question, actually to Gigi's question and to your question, um, is, you know, if we should expect war, should we pray for peace, right? Uh, does praying for peace oppose God if he ordained the war? If God says that war is going to come, you know, how should our prayers uh, be regarded in that, in that respect? And, 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 Kind of to tag on to what Zach was saying, you know, we don't, always, we don't know God's, always God's specific sovereign will. We don't know all of that, okay? Um, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the moment, Israel didn't know all of God's specific sovereign will about how God was using Nebuchadnezzar to wipe out nations, okay? Um, we don't always know God's specific sovereign will. However, we do know what he, has told, what he has told us is right in his word. So what I will say is that we should, never, we should not pray for evil to take place, but we should pray that God will 
allow peace to take place, um, even if we know that God will sometimes allow evil to, pre to prevail for a season, okay? There are seasons when God allows evil to prevail, and we don't really understand that, but just to give you an example, okay, so God willed that our Messiah, Yeshua, to be crucified. He willed that. And there were a lot of things that had to happen that were involved in that act of crucifixion that were evil. So he allowed, in his will, evil to prevail for a season. This is, if you want to read, I mean, this Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 both talk about this. Um, other examples in Scripture. Uh, Joseph, a type of Yeshua, type shadow of Yeshua. God willed that his brothers would sell him into slavery. He allowed that to happen. And he lived in slavery and in prison for a season. There was evil that was done there. That's in Genesis chapter 50. Um, we know that God will allow evil to prevail for a season in the end times. In, there will be massive death and destruction. Massive amounts of death and destruction. And the point is, is that God ordains and the Bible tells us, it predicts that some evil will prevail for certain seasons. Okay? But that does not mean that we should not pray against it. Okay? We should pray according to the way that God commanded us to live okay, in, in righteousness. We should pray in love. We should pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Paul teaches us to pray. Pray among the nations for the sake of the gospel. This is uh, in 1 Timothy. He teaches us that. If we go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, therefore first, therefore, first of all, I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all people for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and respectfulness. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. He desires all men to be saved and come to, into the knowledge of truth. And I will say that when Paul wrote that to Timothy, they were under a very... Um, well, there was definitely evil in the Roman regime, the Roman ruling re emperor, the military at that time. It was not just an easy time to live when Paul wrote that, okay? There was definitely a lot of bad going on there. And yet he's saying to pray for peace among the nations for the sake of the gospel. And, and so it's not our business to decide the sovereign purpose of God in ordaining wars, okay? We don't know that, but our business is to pray for justice. Our business is to pray for peace. Our business is to pray, as Zach said, for the proclamation and living out of the gospel, that it will prevail, that the gospel will prevail, um, to pray that the body of Messiah is not complicit in it, okay? The body of Messiah did some things in World War II, and they were complicit in World War II, Okay? Especially in Europe. Um, 
and we should pray that they are not complicit in Ukraine. Um, and uh, we, so that's what one thing we need to pray, pray for. Um, we should be praying that uh, the body of Messiah is seen as, as aliens, as, as, you know, we are different. We are acting differently in this cause, um, behaving differently, that they are behaving differently uh, in, in Ukraine and in the surrounding nations, that they are showing their Messiah-exalting love and compassion and justice for all who are involved, okay? We should pray for that. We should, we should pray significantly and intensely for that, okay? Now, all of this, and kind of going back to Gigi's question, is that it, it leaves open the possibility for believers to support a just war, okay? It does leave open that possibility. Um, we know that God gives the governing authorities the right to bear the sword. Romans 13. Read the beginning of Romans 13 if you want to understand that a little bit more. There are, there are occasions where justice and where love painfully call for military force. They do. For the sake of, the oppo of opposing aggression, for liberating the oppressed. That's, that's what, when it's needed. And so in those cases, our prayers should be to minimize misery and to speed the triumph of justice and and the restraint of animosities and cruelties. We need to pray for those things. And, and if you're paying attention, that's what's going on in Ukraine right now. There are cruelties. There is destruction happening. There is aggression. There are people being oppressed. And we need to pray opposing that aggression. Pray for liberation pray of the, the oppressed. Pray for minimize, minimization of the misery of the, of the destruction, the triumph of justice for the restraint on the enemy in these cases. So, um, Gwen, and then we've got another one. Yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> my, I have two of little questions. One of them is the, the reactor. Uh, I was concerned of it because once it goes off, it's oblivion. And the other is the fact that I have a friend who has a friend in Ukraine. And uh, Wednesday I was with her, uh, and, but she couldn't get a hold of uh, the person that she knew and don't know whether she's alive or uh, has crossed the border into, I think it's Turkey or somewhere. <clears throat> and uh, that's my concern on that part, you know, those two. We should, um, you know, you mentioned two specific situations. One was the nuclear reactor that was being attacked, um, and then uh, a friend of a friend there. Um, so certainly when the Lord makes us aware of specific situations to pray for or pray against, um, such as that where, uh, you know, a, a nuclear reactor um, being attacked could cause widespread dev devastation, we need to pray against that. Um, you know, when we have a friend of a friend, uh, we should pray for the protection of those people um, in those very specific situations. You know, we may know them by name and God to protect those people by name. 
I will, I will tell you that we will have friends or friends of friends who will die in this conflict right now and have died. Um, Annette knows a lot of people in that area. You may know people personally in that area. I, I know a friend of a friend who has died in this conflict, an American citizen who was Ukrainian-born and was over there working on behalf of orphans, literally, you know, to protect the innocent orphans. And they died this week. This will happen, and we need to mourn that and grieve that appropriately and pray for the protection of those who are still working in those situations. And we may not be able to get a hold of them, like Gwen was saying. If you had anything to add on to that, or we can go to the next one. Uh, let's go to the next one. My dad was in World War II, and he has a purple heart. He had a purple heart. He was injured. But my question is, is where was God in the Holocaust? And it, could it have been a call for repentance? Yeah, that's a... That has been a, a very difficult question that many have tried to ask for many years, right? Um, it's interesting because just back in December, we went to the uh, um, Auschwitz exhibit up in Kansas City. Many of us went. And uh, it certainly causes you to try to think through that question. Um, yeah, that's why I did that earlier. Um, so... Um, sometimes you can't fully understand why something happens until you see what comes afterwards. It just, it just doesn't work that way. It is really hard to explain why something is happening while it's happening sometimes. And there was, um, I think it I think it was Ezekiel 14, but I can't remember, that I taught on sometime last year where I talked about that, where God basically said that. He says, when you see the people that come out after I have done this destruction, after I have done all these things, when you see the people that come out and you see their ways and you see their deeds, then you will know that I have not done this without cause. And... Um, Certainly, certainly the Holocaust was a wake-up call for everyone. Um, if anything, especially the body of Messiah, that it was a wake-up call. Because as Philip said, yeah, there were people in the body of the Messiah who were complicit. There were people who weren't. There were people who fought and helped, right? Um, there were people who tried to defend Jews, um, which kind of goes back to the question I was saying earlier about you have to choose how you act in a war. You know, don't just do necessarily what you're told. You have to decide what your loyalties are. Um, once you get after the Holocaust and you see how God rebirthed the nation of Israel... It's, over, it's too simple to say that 
that was God's purpose for it, but somehow it's still right to acknowledge that just as Job finally understood at the end of the book of Job that God is just in all his ways. And um, we cannot accuse him of doing wrong. Uh, and as I've said, that sometimes when things are confusing, you have to hold on to the truth, and the truth will guide you through. Um, God is just in all he does. And we have to try to see that when things get hard. Um, boy, this is going to really lead into some other things I want to say, but I, does that, do you feel like that kind of answers your question? Kind of? It's not an easy one, is it? Well, I mean, that question is, you know, where was God in World War II? Um, it, it's, it's the same question as saying, you know, why does evil continue to exist, or how does God allow evil to exist continually in the world? Um, <clears throat> and how do we, how do we uh, respond, and how do we pray when God allows someone who's evil, an evil oppressor, to continue even as we pray against it? You know, going back to the example of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you better believe that he prayed against Hitler for since the since day one, okay, of, of the war. And mm -hmm. it was not an immediate answer to that. How how or why does God allow evil in the world and for it to continue? And the answer part of the answer too just goes back to understanding how God created us. That he did not create us as, as robots that he gave every person a choice to obey and to disobey, to believe or to not believe, to sin or not sin, to seek forgiveness or not to seek forgiveness. Including the leaders. Including leaders, absolutely. And so, you know, we, we go our own way, often, just like Adam and Eve did. We do. All of us do. Um, we, we choose to seek evil instead of good. And that's why evil will continue to exist until, until God teaches us no, war no more. It will continue to exist. Um, yes, God allows evil to exist because of that, but he is still loving, he is still merciful, he is still compassionate, and we know these things to be true about God. He promises that evil will not go unpunished, and we have to be able to trust him in that that he does not overlook sin. We have to be able to trust him in that. And at the same time, it's really good for us to be mindful of several things that happen when evil and the suffering associated with evil come about. Um, they can help us to recall and point us back to God when we are experiencing suffering due to evil. Um, one is that it should cause us to reconsider what we are treasuring here on earth. Amen. Okay? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay? 
suffering and evil should call us to trust God, not to trust in, in the life-sustaining props that we have in this, in this world. We have so many things that, uh, that allow us to continue in this lifestyle that we have today, and they could be taken away from us in a moment's notice, as, as Zach said. You know, just like, the, was it in Pol the person in Poland? Yeah. Said? They were a teenager when it happened. Yeah. Living a teenage life and had no idea what was coming. Yeah. So those are things that we should keep in mind. We should, we should keep in mind, too, that, that there are times when suffering in our lives, and sometimes suffering that comes from evil, can be, can be God's discipline for us. It can be. God's discipline in our lives. Okay, I'm not saying that this is every time, but it can be a form of discipline. Hold on, I, yeah. I need to jump in there. <clears throat> Jews have a very difficult time with the concept of people receiving somebody else's punishment. But what they do understand and is in their teaching is when the righteous suffer and the unrighteous receive mercy because of it. So when you tell them the gospel, that's really the way they need to understand the Messiah's sacrifice. Not that he was a replacement of the punishment per se, but rather that when the righteous suffer, the unrighteous can receive mercy. And what you just described there, God is multidimensional, and this kind of goes to Ida's question a little bit as well, okay? Sometimes God chooses to have the righteous suffer so that the unrighteous receive mercy, have a chance at repentance. Does that make sense? Okay? And that one's a really hard one to swallow sometimes because you think you're doing good. Why did God do this to me? What did I do wrong? Maybe he needed you to be the one that suffered so that someone else could have a chance at repentance. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's good. Um, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I was I was drawn towards uh, you know the extension of the righteous suffering in Second Corinthians chapter four, the end of the chapter. It says, "For our trouble, light and momentary, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison." Now. And then and it says, as, as we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. And when, when again, he, said, he uses the words that are translated in English as light and momentary, okay? Uh, he was seeing things that were horrible. He was seeing terrible persecution, and he knew of, of it. I mean, torture, literal torture, Okay? So when he says light, um, <laughs> well, take that for what it is. So that you know that Saul experienced himself. I mean, he was stoned, okay? Like they mm -hmm. literally stoned him, tried and left him for dead. Um, he and he saw many of the other tortures that the Romans could inflict, and he knows and he's saying that it's producing that evil is producing us for us a great reward in heaven. And, and the last thing I just want us to remember, too, is that evil and the suffering associated with it should remind us and point us toward God and His Son because He sent 
Yeshua into the world to suffer so that our suffering would not be God's condemnation, but his purification for us. Not his condemnation, but his purification for us. That he purifies us in suffering, and, and therefore we should strive to and pray to suffer well for him in that regard. Mm-hmm. May, I add, may I add a uh, historical uh, reason to the uh, Holocaust? Okay. There was a rabbi that was either in Russia or in the Baltic states who warned the Jews of Europe that the Holocaust was coming. The reason they did not accept it was because there has never been an all-out persecution against the Jews. Up to that point in time, the persecutions were either local um, or statewide or nationwide by expulsion. But they have never experienced an all-out persecution. Therefore, his message was not accepted or there was not a response. So just to give a historical Mm -hmm. fact for it, Remember, our God says that he warns us or warns his people before he acts. And he gave them a warning. They just did not know how to take it and how to, um, mm-hmm. how yep. to respond to it. There were also some researchers after World War II that interviewed a lot of Holocaust survivors and asked them, if you knew something like this was coming, why did you stay? And the most common answer was, we didn't believe that they would actually murder millions of people. That was the most common answer. They had no concept, like you're saying, that that could actually occur. Um, When Yeshua, there's different parts where Yeshua snuck out of the crowds or avoided the crowds. And there were parts where it said, Yeshua didn't need anybody to tell him what's in the hearts of men. And Yeshua tells us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And boy, that's a hard balance to find. But, but both of those really make a difference. Um, okay, we're kind of, we're running a little bit long. Are there any other questions? Well, I want, I want to really get specific to this moment that we're in right now, okay? So, I'll throw you a softball. Okay. Should we pray for Vladimir Putin? Yes. Yes. Who else should we be praying for right now? Yep. Joe Biden? Joe Biden. Volodymyr Zelensky? Mm-hmm. Soldiers on both sides. Alexander Lukashenko? Mm-hmm. President oh, yeah, Belarus, President of Belarus. Right? Leaders of other European countries that are surrounding those nations, in those surrounding nations? They all have a choice. They have a choice to make. They all have different influences on them, and God is still working. We need to pray for them. Other, other leaders and Russian oligarchs mm-hmm. and leaders in, within Russia who, who can have a choice of how they stand or choose not to stand or to fall in line? 
Missionaries, amen. Missionaries oh, within those countries? Okay. If y'all don't know, the grave of Rabbi Schneerson is in Ukraine. When, when there's a lot of Jews that think that he was the Messiah and travel to Ukraine every year. Tens of thousands. So, there are a lot of Jews in Ukraine. A lot. Mm-hmm. Including Volodymyr Zelensky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, how can we pray for a leader that is doing evil right now? Um, right. Absolutely. The word salvation was uttered there. You know, it's, but, also, it's also okay to pray for his schemes to be defeated. Right. We can pray for their repentance. We can pray that God will turn their heart from war. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this, this as we were meeting today, you knew who was meeting with Putin? the Prime Minister of Israel, in Moscow, flew to Moscow. Mr. Bennett, he flew there and was meeting with him. We can pray for the, for, Mr., for Prime Minister of Israel, just like, just like we can pray for, for Putin. And who knows, you know, maybe God will use him in this, in, in this occasion to help thwart, to help stop the continued aggression, the horrible plans. We can pray when, when evil, there is a leader doing evil, we can pray justly that God will thwart their plans, that he will act swiftly to bring an end to, just, to that, to act in his justice, that God will frustrate the plans of the enemy, that he will stop the plans of the enemy, okay? At the same time, I will say, though, that we should remember Ephesians chapter 6. It says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and worldly forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So this is a spiritual battle, and Zach mentioned this earlier about deception. War is deception. Well, the enemy is Hasatan himself. He is the greatest deceiver, and he has deceived many of the leaders within Russia, for sure, mm-hmm. including Mr. Putin himself. Okay? So we can pray for those things. We can pray for creativity towards peace. Um, we don't know what it will take. We can pray against antipathy for the nations that would stop the evil, that would stop Putin. <clears throat> those are specific ways that we can pray right now. I, th- I think we also need to pray against false teachings in the body of Messiah. There are a lot of prophecy teachers who think they know what's going on right now. We think they understand what God is doing or this is the beginning of the Gog and Magog war or something along those lines. And they're still teaching false teachings that they don't know are false teachings. They're still teaching things that are leading people to not actually be prepared for what God's going to be doing in the last days. And this has created an opportunity for them to seem like they're right when they're actually still not. So, do you have anything else that you want to say? Well, I do want to say, you know, we're talking about praying. And I, sometimes we don't know what to pray or how to pray. 
So I just wanted to give you something practical. If, you're, if you don't know maybe just the words to pray, how to pray, I know that Zach wants to go there some. I will say that God gives us the Psalms for a reason. Amen. They, and they can include a lot of prayers um, for us to follow. And we can use them and we can pray them, use them as framework for praying. Um, some of the Psalms are imprecatory in nature, meaning that they actually pray curses upon those who are doing evil. Okay, now understand that those are curses not for personal vengeance, but for uh, God to act on his sovereign behalf against those who do evil. Um, but some of the Psalms, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. There's probably a dozen, maybe 15 at least, Psalms that are considered the imprecatory Psalms. You can look them up if you uh, mm-hmm. want to know the specific Psalm numbers. But um, other ones that aren't necessarily imprecatory but are really good towards this is like Psalm chapter 46. Okay? Psalm 46 is amazing. I just want to read it to you and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done. And I'm going to read Psalm 2. And then let Zach, <laughs> Zach close us out. And then, and I think after that, we're going to go into a time of prayer yeah, and then communion. We, we can't end this with just like this. We, right. need to, we need to pray. So we're going to actually pray together. But, so I'm going to read Psalm 46. If you guys want to read with me, get out your Bibles. And then he's going to read from Psalm 2. So just have those ready. So Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth change, though mountains topple into the heart of the seas, though its waters foam, roar and foam, though the mountains quake at their swelling. So God, we, we pray that we will not fear. We pray that the people of Ukraine would not fear. We pray that the people around Ukraine would not fear. Lord, though the earth is changing around them, though the, the mountains seem to be toppling into the heart of the seas around them with the sounds of the bombs and all of the destruction that is around them, Lord. We pray that you would be their refuge and their strength, that you would be their ever-present help in trouble. Continuing on, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of Elyon. God is in the midst of her. She will not be shaken. God will help her when morning dawns. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms totter. His voice, he, he utters his voice and the earth melts. Adonai Zavuot is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Lord, I pray that you would be our stronghold, that you would be the stronghold of believers in Ukraine and that they, in their strength that you provide for them, Lord, would be, would be strength for those who do not know you, Lord. That, because we know that the nations are in uproar right now, that there is absolutely an uproar going on in Ukraine, in Russia, in the surrounding nations, in Belarus, that kingdoms are tottering, Lord, that it feels to some that the earth is melting around them, Lord, that you would be their strength, though. Continuing on, come, see the works of Adonai, who brings devastations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Adonai Zavod is with us. The God of Jacob is our strong tower. Lord, we pray that you would make this war to cease on the earth, that you would break the bow of the aggressors of the Russian army. 
that you would shatter their spear, that you would burn their chariots with fire, Lord, their tanks, their weapons, that you would break them, that you would make their aggression to cease. Even still, Lord, I pray that the believers especially, but all in that area, would be still and know that you are God. We pray in this conflict, in this area, Lord, that you would be exalted that you would be glorified among the nations and in all the earth because we know that you are Adonai's Amen. I'm going to read Psalm 2. Very similar. <clears throat> Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples mutter vanity? The kings of earth set themselves up and rulers conspire together against Adonai and against his anointed one. Let us rip their chains apart and throw their ropes off us. He who sits in heaven laughs. Adonai mocks them. So he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. I have set up my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the decree of Adonai. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the far reaches of the earth as your possession. You shall break the nations with an iron scepter. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's jar. So now, O kings, be wise. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Adonai with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish along your way, since his wrath may flare up suddenly." Happy is everyone taking refuge in him. Amen. Kind of. Okay. So, for anyone that wants to pray, you're welcome to pray where you're at. Pray with someone with you. Philip and Lisa can be up here if you want to come and pray with somebody. I'm just going to talk. I just want you to listen to my voice while we're praying. Okay, pray for whatever you feel like you need to pray for. Okay? I would say, you know, specifically, though, that we're praying for those who are suffering within Ukraine, praying mm -hmm. for their hope and their strength and their protection, praying for some of the leaders that we mentioned, praying for their repentance and their salvation, and, their, and then end it. For, for specifically for those in Russia and then for the surrounding leaders, that they would have the wisdom, that they would pray against antipathy, and that, that they would have uh, knowing how to support um, Ukraine and the Ukrainian people, praying for those who are receiving the refugees, that they would have hearts, and that that would be led by those who are bringing the gospel to come forth. And ultimately praying that God would be exalted in this. Well, the other thing we need to be praying for is... The believers in believers Russia. Believers in Russia. Yes, absolutely. We, we also need to... Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. We also need to be praying... For us here... I'm with you. Praying for us here because we don't want to be assuming the fight's going to stay over there. Okay, that's why we need to pray for them, because we need to not be blindsided. Okay, 
I want everyone to focus on a question here, and this will relate to what's happening in the world. What are the lies that the enemy has been telling you? What are the lies that the enemy has been telling you? Just pray. Pray and listen to my voice. What are the lies that the enemy has been telling you? Vladimir Putin, before he invaded, basically delegitimized the very identity of the Ukrainians, saying that they don't deserve to be a nation. They were made by Russia. He was trying to take away their identity. He was trying to trick people. What lies is the enemy telling you? He's trying to delegitimize you. There were ministers, there were Russian ministers months ago in December who knew the plan, who said exactly the date and time and said, you're going to feel what Russia is going to do now on this date and this time. And they lied about it. They deceived it. The plan has been there for years of what Putin was planning to do. And it was deception and lies. Why? He was trying to weaken his enemy. Now, what are the lies that God has been telling you? What are the lies that he's been telling you? You have to see the lies. I've been hearing many people saying that they're waking up in the last few weeks. They're waking up. You're waking up. It's been a bad dream. You're in a nightmare. The devil has been trying to keep you trapped in a nightmare. He's trying to keep you afraid of what's going to happen. Wake up. Listen to God's voice. He's calling your name. Pray for the people of the world. Don't be afraid of what's going on. Wake up. Wake up. You're coming out of the dream. You're waking up. God is calling your name. What are the lies that the enemy has been telling you? They're lies. Get out of the nightmare. Wake up. Okay? God has a calling on your life. Call them lies. You're not good enough. That's a lie. God doesn't have a calling for you. That's a lie. You can't ask for help. That's a lie. There's nothing you can do to make a difference. The world's just too big. That's a lie. The enemy keeps lying to you because he wants to weaken you. Pray for what's going on in the world because the fight is coming. The enemy wants to weaken you because he's about to attack. Don't assume the fight is just over there. That's why you need to pray for them. That's why you need to be aware of them. Pray for what God is doing because the enemy wants to attack you. He's weakening you. He's trying to lie to you. He's trying to keep you in the nightmare so that you're asleep and you don't know what's coming. Wake up. Hear God's voice. He's calling you. He's given you an identity. He's given you gifts. And he's called you to a purpose. We need to pray for the people of Ukraine. We need to pray for the people of Russia. Because now they didn't have a choice but to wake up now, did they? The fight is on. We need to wake up because the fight is coming. Thank you. Revelation 3, verse 2. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Amen. Thank you, Naomi. Also, 
Second Chronicles 20, verse 10. Listen to this. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Wake up. Open your eyes. Be praying. <clears throat> Micah 4, 7. I will make the lame a remnant, those who have driven away a strong nation. See, even for us as a congregation, the enemy's been lying to us. The enemy wants to keep us weak. He wants to keep us just doing the same old, same old. He's been lying to us so that we're not ready when he comes. Because he's getting ready to attack. Wake up and strengthen what remains. Don't worry about what's been taken from us. Don't worry about that. We need to strengthen what remains and be ready. Amen? Amen. Do you want to pray? Does anyone want some specific prayer or anything like that while we're praying? Or is anyone feeling a word from the Lord that, that you feel like we, you would like to help lead in prayer right now? Okay. Where's the mic? Something that's been coming to me all week. I really feel with everything going on over in uh, Ukraine and everywhere. You know, it's when, it is when our, we feel the weakest. We feel like nothing else matters. We feel like we got to give it up. We're done. That is when we need to hold stead and keep the faith. That is when we need to drop to our knees, look up, and say, Father, I'm here. I am yours. Please. I am yours. And I guarantee you, I bet you anything in the world, I will tell you millions of times over, your day will change. You will not give up. You will not fail. You will get up off your knees and you will walk that line. You will walk. One of the first things Rabbi John told me whenever I first came back, I had a meeting with him. And he said, Johnny, it's time to get up. It is time to run that race. It is time to get it going. And I will never forget that. Hold stead, keep the faith, and run your race because Adonai is worth every single bit of it. Amen.
We have to do it as a family, as a congregation. We have to go out there and let them know. Because if we don't, then we will fail. Because that is our mission. That's our mission from you. That's our mission from Yeshua. That's our mission from the Father is to go out there and bring his people home. And we have to, we can't fail. We can't. I, I, I will not allow it. We have to run the race. Let's get up. Let's rejoice. Because he's here. The Father is here with us. Always. Hold stead. Keep the faith. Ida has a... Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the armor of God, uh, to put the word of truth. Uh, first, to stand. That means to stand strong. And have the belt of truth buckled around your waist, which is the word of God, the truth, not the lies, but the truth. We have to refer to the truth that's in the word. Um, put on righteousness for your breastplate. We need to live righteously. God calls us to be holy as he was holy, but we have to change things that we are doing wrong and seek righteousness, and then holiness will come. This is to wear your feet, the readiness that comes from the good news of salvation and of shalom. We should always walk in peace. And... Um, Know that we can reach people with our peace as we walk and talk gently to them and listen to them, and we can spread the good news to them. We have a, a chance to minister to their, their hearts with the word of God. And it also says, to, don't forget, to put on the helmet of salvation. God has given us salvation through the blood of Jesus and we are children of the Lord of the Father, the King and we need to represent that and know that we are saved and that we are called to be holy and righteous and last but not least to pray mm -hmm. to pray so every day we need to put on our armor Amen. every day Amen. it's a very uh, the instructions here are very simple, but do we do it? Amen. Hallelujah. If we do it, we guard ourselves from the evil one. Zach, I think Jonathan had some. I have something that I wanted to share that might be fitting. Sure, yeah. Might be fitting. Um, you know, the enemy, he, he really wants us to be afraid. He wants us to, to fear what's coming. He wants us to fear what 
the web that he's weaving around the world and the people he's, he's maneuvering for what he believes is his goals. He doesn't want us to seek God's will. And he doesn't want us to seek God. And he doesn't want us to trust God. He wants us to live in crippling fear. He wants us to hide. He wants us to be quiet and be afraid to speak out and to share God's word. And I want to share something with you. Um, I, I, I served at, in wartime. Uh, I was in the military for 11 years. Uh, and as a really young man, I was deployed to Iraq. I spent over a year of my life in Baghdad, Iraq. And, uh, um, you know, on, on the way, we stopped in Kuwait for a little bit of, you know, desert training. And uh, then... As we were leaving that, I was scared out of my, my mind. I was, I was 20 years old, and I was, I was just terrified. I didn't know what to expect. You know, all, all the Marines stationed there were all talking about, you know, everything exploding and everybody dying and everything, and it was, it was terrifying to me. Uh, and we load up in the middle of the night uh, in a C-130 uh, aircraft, and we're strapped in there in our little strap seats, and, and we start flying into Iraq, and they, when we got close to the Baghdad International Airport, uh, where we were going to land, they turned off all the lights, and they said, all right, we're going into, a, uh, into wartime maneuvers to land, and we start spiraling down, and just spiraling down, and, and I'm getting sick, and it's terrifying, and we know people are shooting at us, and they were trying, you know, they were always shooting at us. And, uh, you know, we land, and I get off that aircraft, and I will tell you, uh, for about two months while I was there, I, I, I was just in just crippling fear all the time. There were mortars and rockets exploding all around us all the time. I'd be walking outside, and bullets would hit the ground near my feet. We'd have them hit the side of our vehicles. We were in wartime. This was in the midst of things. It was, it, was, it was horrible. Every single day, all day long, things just hitting the ground near you. And in, I was just thinking, when's the next one going to hit me? You know, when, when's it going to come close enough to hit me? And, uh, I mean, I, 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 started, I started praying, and I was really reaching, I was reaching out to God because I, I wanted to, I, I just, I, I wanted to trust Him. And he told me something that gave me peace. He told me that, you know, he's in control of my life. And, you know, and this is, this is it sounds funny, it sounds strange maybe uh, to say this, uh, but I will say what he told, what I, what I felt, the word that I got was that I am invincible on this earth until he says otherwise. There is no man, there is no thing, there is nothing that can harm me without his permission. And if he gives permission for that to happen, then God will it. Because it's supposed to be happening and it's within his will. And I accept his will. So I'm going to close with this in, in, in prayer. Um, I feel like the Spirit was strong in, in both what Jonathan was 
finishing there and then what Ida had said before. In fact, I had my Bible open to the same verse you did, Ida, when you started reading from it. That was where I was like, I'm already there. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Uh, Amen. Well, let's pray together from Ephesians chapter 6. Use this as a framework for our prayer. And I, just to, before I do that, just a reminder of the other frameworks. So many of the Psalms, just please, you know, don't, if you don't know what to pray, use Scripture as your framework. Use Ephesians. Use, use the Lord's Prayer. Use any of the Psalms. There's, I mean, all over Scripture, you can find scripture to pray. Use it to pray when you don't know the words to pray. So, Lord, I'm praying now. We are praying now, God, for ourselves, Lord. We're praying now for believers in Ukraine. We're praying for believers in Russia. We're praying for believers in countries around Ukraine and Russia, for Messianics, that are in, we know they're in Belarus because we know that uh, Rabbi John and the net were there, and there's a huge Messianic congregation there. We know there's a huge Messianic congregation in Kiev, Lord. We know there's believers. We know your people are there. We know that you have Jewish people, huge populations of Jewish people in Ukraine. And we don't, we acknowledge, God, that we don't understand your ultimate purposes in this war in this conflict yet, God. But we pray, Lord, that for all that I mentioned, that we, that they would be strong in you, in the Lord, in your mighty power. Lord, that the believers, that we would put on the full armor of God so that they are able to stand, so that we are able to stand against the schemes of Satan, against the schemes of the devil. Lord, because we acknowledge that our struggle, that this struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, Lord. So I pray, therefore, God, that we, that they, the believers, all would be able to take up the full armor of God so that they are able to resist when the times are evil, and they are evil, God. We acknowledge that they are evil in Ukraine. And so we pray, Lord, for your justice now, Lord, and that after they have done everything, that we have done everything to stand firm, Lord, that you would give us the strength to stand firm, then that we would stand firm because we have buckled the belt of truth around our waist, that we have put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we have strapped our feet in the readiness of the good news of, the, of peace, of shalom, and that we have taken the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, that we have taken the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Please plant this in our hearts Lord, even when the word is taken from us, Lord, that we would have it in our hearts because we have you and we have memorized it. You have put it and planted it in our minds and in our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us to pray, Lord, and inspire those believers in Russia to pray in the Spirit on every occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests, Lord, with perseverance and supplication that we would persevere in this, that we would not grow weary in this, 
for all of your saints, the Kedoshim, the Holy Ones, Lord. I pray for those that you have put the spirit of evangelism in to open their mouths, to make known with boldness the mystery of the good news. Amen. Amen.